0: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: The idea is this is that change is inevitable for the Christian because he's encountered he's had a supernatural encounter with God. And because of that, he lives out his faith, and therefore change is essential for the genuine Christian as well. And those are the two big statements this passage makes. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. Because Salvation brings demonstrable, observable, perceivable, and obvious change to a believer. I can
0: see the promised land. Though there's pain within the plan. There is victory in the end. Your love is my battle cry. The answer for all my life. Every dragon will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, we will be continuing with our study through the Book of Romans, as we hear a message that Pastor Keith is entitled, Walk This Way. So if you have your bibles please turn with us today to the book of Romans chapter 6 Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study
1: Father we thank you Father we thank you for this day to study the book of Romans and to get a better grasp of the Christian faith to to look into the pages of scripture and to uh, align our thoughts with your thoughts to align our ways with your ways Lord Help me to be clear and understandable. Help the people to understand and apply that we would all be doers, not just hearers of your word. And we'll give you the glory for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are back in Romans. And we are in some what I would consider uh, transitional uh, messages as we shift. Uh, deeper into Romans. Uh, As we began, Romans chapters 1 through 5 was about our salvation and what God has done for us. Uh, Romans chapters 6 through 8 are about what God is doing in us. And so we're at the front end of that, what God is doing in us. And it's sort of a mini-series within a series. Uh, Today's message is entitled, Walk This Way, and it's uh, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11, so it's part 1, and, it's, and the theme of it is justification inevitably leads to sanctification. What does that mean? Salvation leads to change. Salvation leads to growth. And there are a lot of, of uh, other themes here that we cannot all unpack today. Uh, there is union with Christ, there is the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of mortification, And we're going to touch on these, but as you study God's Word too, and I hope you're reading along with me, if you're not, I I encourage you to, uh, over time, they'll be further explained deeper into Romans that we get. So bear with us, and uh, we will press on. So let me just begin by reading uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It begins with a question, and let me tell you what's going on here. Essentially, the Apostle Paul has said, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And every good preacher knows that there's always somebody out there who doesn't quite hear, hear you right, and so you have to circle back and ask and answer the question that somebody might be thinking in their minds. And because Paul is writing to a church, to a, a number of churches in the city of Rome, some of which are Jewish in composition, some of which are Gentile, that is non-Jew in, comp- in composition, and some of which are blended he knows that the Jewish people are going to be going, you know, they're, they're going to be wrestling with this salvation by grace through faith, letting go of the law and embracing the grace of God. And so he, he begins with a question, and he answers it for them. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answers it very briefly and succinctly, by no means. And some translations say, may it never be. And I think the King James says, God forbid. And he goes on to say, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Given all that Christ has done for us, how can we live the way we used to live, having received so great a salvation? Verse 3, he asks another question. Do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's talking a little bit about spirit baptism and our union with Christ. We'll get into all that eventually. Just bear with me. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that, so that for the purpose of that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, that's you and I and them and there back then, we too might walk in newness of life. New birth, new life, right? Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will no longer, will never die again and death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for he died, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. He paid the once and for all sacrifice. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, what's going on here is he's unpacking and he's displaying for them Two big ideas. The first one is found in verse 4, that we were buried, therefore, with him into a baptism into death, in order that for the purpose of, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might be raised to walk in newness of life. We too might walk in newness of life. And what he's basically telling them is, if you're saved, it's inevitable that your life is going to change. And then he goes on to say, so, in verse 11, you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let me put those two together for you. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And basically, the idea is this is that change is inevitable for the Christian because he's, encountered, he's had a supernatural encounter with God. And because of that, he lives out his faith and therefore change is essential for the genuine Christian as well. And those are the two big statements this passage makes. And this is what we're going to be talking about today because salvation brings demonstrable, observable, perceivable, and obvious change to a believer. An encounter with God never leaves us the same. Union with Christ, being united with Christ in his death and resurrection, embracing and trusting Christ brings us eternal life as a gift from God. It's his undeserved favor. We didn't do anything to earn it, but it also brings with it a connection with him that does not leave us unchanged. It starts with the believer and it starts on a road called sanctification. You come to Christ and you start down this road to spiritual change. And as I thought about it I tried to say well what is what's a word picture that we could use for that and being a nominally creative guy I came up with a butterfly and a caterpillar and the whole process of metamorphosis. So think of a caterpillar. That's you and me before salvation. And then we encounter God and things begin to change. We go through a spiritual metamorphosis. We go through a process of change. There's immediate sanctification where you are changed and set apart for God. And there is something called progressive sanctification or progressive spiritual growth where you gradually change. I think the next slide sort of speaks to that. You know, the caterpillar attaches himself or herself to a limb and they, they form this cocoon around them. They go into a chrysalis and they come out the other side, a butterfly. And again, there it is. I think that's a monarch butterfly. And what goes on there is a response to their nature, in our case, a new nature. And the caterpillar goes and attaches itself and wrestles through this change. And if you've ever watched time-lapse photography, or if you had a lot of time on your hands and sat there and watched and waited, which I doubt you did, a caterpillar emerged from this chrysalis, there's a struggle involved. It's not easy. But at the end, the outcome is beautiful. Think of it like childbirth, labor. There is an aspect of our salvation that we are responsible for and encouraged to and empowered to cooperate in. We are saved through no fault or credit of our own, right? That's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But our sanctification, our spiritual growth is sort of a blessing and an act of prolonged lifelong worship where God allows us the privilege and the opportunity to cooperate with him in our spiritual growth, to bring glory to God good to others, and growth to ourselves. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to begin that discussion today. We'll finish it in chapter 8. Another aspect of it I think of is sunburn. You cannot come into contact with the sun for a prolonged period of time and not be changed. Years and years ago, in a galaxy far, far away, pre-salvation, I worked on a commercial fishing vessel, and we'd go out to sea, and we were all doing our best in those days to take every step possible to make sure we had skin cancer in our 60s, 70s, and 80s. We covered ourselves in oil. We had our fishing knives strapped to our ankles. We had our dock sweaters on, our cut-off jeans shirtless out in the sun for 12, 14 hours a day. And you know what happens? You begin to darken. That's S-U-N burn. Sanctification is the result of an encounter with Christ that results in a manner of speaking, not to push an analogy too far, an S-O-N burn. Okay, you're changed. And the more you're exposed, the more you change. I think of Moses in the Old Testament going to the tent of meeting and meeting with God face to face. And we would come out, his face would glow. And the more he did it, and the more he lingered there, the brighter his face shone. And eventually he had to put a a veil over his face because it made people uncomfortable, which really kind of is what happens as you grow in Christ. Your old self is dead, your new self comes out, and nobody knows what to do with you. That is a picture of sanctification or spiritual growth. And does it happen all at once? No. Spiritual growth is a lifelong process. It's like bonsai. We're cutting away everything that doesn't look like the end goal, except God is doing it through what He accomplishes in our lives. It's like an apple on a tree. You've heard me use this analogy before, perhaps where you have an apple tree and there are apples all over it. Some are on the top, some are on the bottom, some are on the interior, some are on the exterior. And those apples ripen and grow based on the amount of light that they're exposed to. And some of us, you know, we're supposed to be working out our sanctification with fear and trembling, knowing that it is the will of God at work, to will and to work His good favor in us, His good pleasure in us. We ripen at different rates of speed, but ripen we do and change we do. And the thesis of this passage and really the thesis of my message is if you're saved if you are born again if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ you're going to change we live in an era today where there's a lot of confusion about this some people say well God likes me the way that I am and he accepts me the way that I am but that's not true otherwise there'd be no need for a savior you could just go on the way that you were right But when Jesus says repent and believe the gospel in Mark, there's there's an idea that we're going to change. God wants to conform us to the image of his son, and when we cooperate with him in that, that is worship. Worship is conforming our minds, our lives, to the known and expressed will of God. And a real and growing Christian will develop new appetites as symptoms, you might say, of new life in Christ. And that's why we entitle this message, Walk This Way. We're not into 80s classical rock and roll. We're here because this passage talks about being raised to walk in newness of life. And we need to walk this way. So what I want to do today is I want to just really isolate and explain those two key statements. There are two statements in here that if you can understand and embrace them, you can live out your faith in a way that brings glory to God, good to others, and growth to yourselves. You can be more useful in God's kingdom. You can find greater joy in the Christian life if you can embrace and accept these two statements and go where the word of God tells you to go by walking this way. And statement number one is this, and we've already given it to you once, that was a heads up, change is inevitable with genuine salvation. Change is inevitable with genuine salvation. Where do we see this? We see this in the first four verses in chapter six, particularly in verse four, but let me just read you the context here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? There's this baptism into the body of Christ. And at this point, we're not talking about water baptism, but spirit baptism, which comes at salvation. So by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who perceive so great a salvation still live the old way? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his faith? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that for the purpose of, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, that's them there and all of us here and now, me and you, us, we too might walk in newness of life. See, verse 4 is key there. If you're saved, you were saved for the purpose of, of being conformed to the image of his son, to be raised up, to walk in newness of life, to be forever changed. Rebirth brings new life, a changed life. And that's a fact. It's an inevitable reality. Justification by faith, salvation by faith involves God both declaring us righteous and then engaging in a process to make us righteous increasingly over time. God makes us righteous. It's divine intervention. And that divine intervention leading to our salvation begins an inevitable process of change and growth, kind of like a spiritual metamorphosis, like the butterfly. Christ died for our sin, and we, like him, so die to sin and begin to change in unmistakable, albeit gradual, ways. Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father that we too might walk in newness of life. There's this union with Christ, this connection that empowers and drives us forward, grateful for what we've received from him, recognizing the horrors he suffered in the cross on our behalf and wanting to be different, having been made different. Now, we talked about this before, you know, in Adam all die and in Christ we have eternal life, right? And what's our connection with Adam? Was it genetic? Was it behavioral? What was it? It's the same thing here with Christ. Christ is the anti-Adam, so to speak. And so is there a spiritual change or a supernatural change or a mystical change? Just what? Yes. That's the answer. Yes. All of them. There's this comprehensive rewiring of the fabric of our souls. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. We've been made alive in Christ that we might walk in newness of life. We have been buried with him in the baptism of his death and we have been raised to walk in newness of life through the power of his resurrection. Is it We talked about in Ezekiel once, I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's what's going on here. We've got a new heart and the new heart functions differently. It has different appetites. It's a work of God brought about by Christ and that Christ changes us. That work changes us. And probably the most succinct statement about that Is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you want to look at this, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, if you have received eternal life, the rebirth, he is a new Christian. Excuse me. He is a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has union with Christ, he is a new creation. Now look what it says about change. The old has passed away, behold, all things have become, the new has come. A different translation says, old things are passing away, all things are becoming new. It talks about this process of change, this spiritual metamorphosis that is inaugurated and initiated at salvation. New birth, birth from above, is an act of new creation and we are forever altered. Our spiritual DNA is changed and I don't want to get too technical, but when you get into recombinant DNA, it keeps reproducing the change within itself until it goes through the whole body, so to speak. It begins its salvation. We cooperate with it. We have the ability through our sin or our submission, to accelerate the process or slow it down. But change we will if we are Christians. We are objects, recipients and beneficiaries of his resurrection power. Christ walked out of that tomb, free from death and its effect. And we were initiated into the family of God through the rebirth and we have new life and we can walk in and live out our lives for this glory because he initiated our salvation and with it, our sanctification. It's not an easy concept, but it's understandable. You can't maybe understand it exhaustively yet and we're only on the front end of it, but you can understand it sufficiently based on what the texts say. What do the words say? What do the words mean? What do we do? How then shall we live? We have been made alive in Christ, we who were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are undergoing a spiritual metamorphosis. We, are, we have entered the chrysalis of sanctification and we will come out the other side a butterfly, so to speak. More like Christ and less like ourselves and ultimately glorified in heaven, perfected. And like that metamorphosis, there is a struggle. There is a struggle. And I want you to look at with me with Romans six seventeen and nineteen. You sort of see this in the language, in the syntax, in the way the words are laid out in this passage. Romans six seventeen to nineteen. But thanks be to God that you who were once once slaves of sin have become have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. The standard of teaching which means that was committed to you and to which you were committed, to which you were given. And then he explains in verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Just as you once presented your members, your body parts, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now, there's the change, present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. The new nature brings new appetites and new behaviors. Our nature has changed. The complicating factor is is that we're still living in the same broken, malfunctioning bodies which have a memory, which have has recollections, sights and sounds and appetites on its hard drive, and there is a war between our new nature and our old body. There is this struggle for maturation. But it is possible because we are new creation. We have a new nature and new appetites. We have a new birth. We have a new master. We're no longer slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to God. And that's why we say genuine salvation inevitably produces change. I want you to understand that. If you're saved, you're changing. If you're not changing, you may not be saved. It's inevitable that you will change. You cannot have a supernatural encounter with a supernatural, sovereign, omnipotent God and not come away changed. It may come at different rates of speed depending on where you are on the apple tree, how much you are cooperating with your metamorphosis, what you embrace, but change you will, change you must. Which brings us to the second big statement that I want us to consider. And that is this, change is essential. Change is an essential feature of salvation. Change is essential to our salvation. There is an inevitable God initiated change. And there is also an intentional cooperative process where we, out of gratitude for what Christ has suffered on our behalf, what he has purchased for us, what he has made possible for us, we want to please him. We want to make our lives a beautiful thank you letter to the Savior who rescued us from sin, death, and hell. So God affords us this privilege, this opportunity to participate with him, to obey the, te- the teaching to which we were committed, to embrace it, to, with determination and intentionality, become more like Christ and less like ourselves, to cooperate with him.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. From everyone here at Hillside Church, we just want to say how grateful we are that you've chosen to spend this time with us today studying God's Word. If you have questions about today's program, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to log on to our website, hillsidechurch.org where you can find more messages and content from Pastor Keith in the Sermons Archives tab, as well as links to Pastor Keith's blog and the new Out of My Mind podcast. You can also connect with us to see the many things happening here at Hillside Church, including our service times, ministry opportunities, and our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and more can be found by visiting the website hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again right here next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and keep you. And thanks for listening.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Keith Crosby from Hillside Church and Grace to Live. I wanted to invite you to an online conference that we're holding on successive Wednesdays beginning September 16th at 7 p.m. We have Vody Bacham and Neil Shinby talking about the road from race to reconciliation. You've probably heard terms like woke and critical theory, and you're wondering where does this all fit into the Bible? Come to our website at hillside.org, click on the button, register, and find out. Can't wait to see you there.